we have been studying some great things in the word and it's it's very interesting that as we in the church are preaching things about hope and about power and about authority and about the things that we're called to do when you walk outside those doors you see a battle raging now even the world even the world out there knows that there's a battle going on they think it's between blue and red They think it's between a candidate and another candidate. They think that this battle that they feel is actually going to be changed on November 3rd. But this battle that you feel is actually a kingdom clash that's happening above the earth right now. And we know that whatever happens in the heavens is reflected on earth. And so what you're feeling is not this natural thing. Yeah, there are natural circumstances. Uh, You know, there's lots of... uh, communistic things that are hitting you every day when you walk out of the house there's lots of things that would tell you that there's an earthly battle going on but that earthly battle is just a reflection of what's going on in heaven and we're called as the church to engage in that battle and so i wanted to begin a series for the next few weeks on defining the kingdoms of god and the kingdoms of this world because we can get so caught up in the nonsense of what we see going on around us, that we miss what is really happening and what God is doing. You know that the revivals of the world always begin with some pressure. They always begin with some things happening to the church, some things happening to a specific region, and a person or people that were called out to go minister to them and bring hope. And oftentimes that hope is, is just enveloped in God's love for those people. And so it's not just that, that we're in this battle on the earth and, and we've got to you know, do this. The, the word tells us that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? We know that scripture. Yet we often walk outside and the things of this earth are so overpowering to us that we can't even imagine, other than in our prayer closet, how we could have dominion. Now it begins there. It begins in your prayer closet. It begins in your heart. As we were singing and worshiping this morning, and we're sitting in front of the Lord. I hope that you took that seriously. I hope that you did. Because there's significance in doing that. And I want you to do it every day. I want you to do it. You've got your, you've got your devotions. You've got all the things that you do, right? But I want you to begin to do that. And if you've never done it, I want you just to sit before him and listen to him. Because he's giving battle strategies that will affect the earth, but that will actually transform heaven that will transform the spiritual atmosphere of a region. We were talking this morning in pre-service prayer about the, the person or the people group who controls the airspace wins the war. And I think that we are called as the church to control the atmosphere around this place, over this city, over this region. We are called as one church in one city, not 50,000 churches in one region. No, one church in one region that unites together that declares victory and takes control of the air. I've had the privilege this week to meet some awesome pastors in this area. Last week, we we had a great Saturday meeting with some pastors a little further away from here. This week, I got to meet with some great people. And I can tell you one thing, that in those that I met with, the handful that I met with this week, they want there to be one church. We're all from different denominations. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different belief systems. But you know what? The, the underlying beat of God's heart right now is for unity. And I, I, this is gonna, we're gonna change some scriptures so you're not gonna find them on the slides because we're going somewhere else right now. But 
You know, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, this week, uh, Saturday, we'll be in D.C. We'll be reporting live from, uh, from the return in D.C. And the anchor verse of that is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people are called by my name, right? There's a contingency if, if we are called, right? But I, I want to take you to another scripture, and you're just going to have to look this one up. I want you to go to 2 Chronicles 5. 2 Chronicles 5, there is one of the most unbelievably awesome things that happens in Scripture and that is so powerful in today's society if we'll only listen. Now, Solomon was the wisest man on the earth. The wisest man to ever live. He, he asked God for wisdom and he got everything else. Now, if God came to you today and said, what do you want? What do you want? Some of you might answer finances. Some of you might answer influence. Some of you might answer power. Some of you might answer wisdom. Whatever it is. He asked for a specific thing. God gave it to him with, with unlimited measure of wisdom on the earth. He was the wisest man. And he got everything else because of his heart was focused toward God's heart. Now, I want you to, the, you can go back and read the whole story. We don't have time this morning. But I want you to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. It was completed. Rebuilt the temple. Okay? And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings. And he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. There was reverence for the things of God, number one. He had reverence for the things of God. He had a, a focus, a hard intention that I'm going to, to take things that have been dedicated to God and I'm going to put them in a place of honor. One of the things that are, are clash on this, our clash on this earth, one of the things that I know is resonating in your spirit as I speak right now is that there is a lack of honor. There's a lack of honor for the things of God. There's a lack of honor for other individuals. There's a lack of honor for positions. There's a lack of honor just for every other average person. And so we see that he honored the things of God. Now, verse 2. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up to the city of David, which is in Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. Listen to this. He gathered all the men of all the tribes. This is like unheard of, that they would all come to one place at one time to dedicate this thing, to be a part together in unity. We are in an age when there is division all around, and we're going to be talking about the kingdoms of God and the kingdoms of this world. And I can tell you that the main strategy of the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, all the different names that he has, which tells you that he has his own kingdom um, because he has a lot of names. But, but here's the thing. His main strategy is to separate you. Are you witnessing that in this earthly realm? The enemy's job, the enemy's tactic is not new. It is old. And that tactic is to separate people so that they cannot have the interconnected worship together, to separate them so there is division among the people, so that a divided house, Jesus said, cannot stand. And so we are looking as the church at the world saying, Lord, give us a strategy to be able to go out into the world and 
speak to those people, to share with them the love of God, to be able to share with them all those things, but they don't understand honor sometimes. They don't understand the things of God, and so it's hard to communicate with them. And he is saying, in this scripture, I believe he is declaring to the church today, if you will unify yourselves together and hold dear the things of me, my things, then I will give you influence greater than you could ever get on your own. And so it goes from chapter 5, and then you read chapter 6, and then you get into 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, and he says, if, that means that they were in unity, but they still had to make a choice. And it had to do with humbling themselves. I love our Foursquare family. I think we've got lots of benefits from being Foursquare. I think we've got lots of things. But if I hold so much to Foursquare that I leave out my Baptist friends and my Methodist friends and my, my other Pentecostal friends and other denominations and I leave out my, my Nazarene friends and, and I leave them out because I'm so tied to something that is divisive, then you know what? I don't know that we'll have unity and see a restoration of this world. The enemy, his main plan is to divide us. Now, last week we talked about the emblems of a kingdom. And I want you to review your notes. Go back in your notes a little bit here because I want you to get this firmly in your mind because that's what we're going to discuss this morning. We talked about authority and what that means. Authority is the legal right to give the command, order, or instruction and compel the subordinates to do a certain act. I think it's interesting that he calls us the ecclesia and he says, I want you to execute, I give you the authority to execute my power upon the earth, upon all that is here. What you, what you say leave, it will leave. What you say come, it will come. Which means that those of the unseen realm that are of the enemy are at our command. And we are victorious. So the crown represents power. The censer represents influence. Anytime that, that the king would come around, the censer would be going and there would be incense in there and you would know that the king was around because you could sense him. And then we talked about the scepter that represents authority. Now this is not just in the kingdom of God. This is in the kingdoms of earth. This is in the kingdoms of this world. They, they use these same emblems for the same purpose. And so Jesus said, I give you the kingdom. I give you my kingdom. I want you to execute my authority on the earth. And if we focus on the natural, if we focus on the, the discontentment of this world, if we focus on the division of this world, we will never understand his influence that he gives us and the authority that he gives us to shape the air to shape the atmosphere over a region, to take control and to execute his power and authority. And so we ended last week going through Matthew 12 and Matthew 10 and Matthew 13 and Matthew 16, talking about the culture of the kingdom of God. So if you didn't hear it, go back and listen. There were two types of authority that we ended with. Personal authority and divine kingly authority that comes through a corporate body that is walking as an ecclesia on the earth to execute his judgment and his power. So this morning, I want to talk about these two kingdoms. You feel it in your gut. You feel it in your prayer closet. You feel this kingdom clash all the time, and yet we can dumb it down, we can simplify it into this earthly realm. 
And I believe that God is calling the church to come higher, calling the church to come higher and unite together and say we are one church in one city and we are going to deal a defeat to the enemy because we know that our victory is already complete. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew 12, verse 22. Matthew 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spake and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? I want you to, I want you to get this, this story that the kingdom of God is there in their midst when he is speaking to this deaf and mute man. He's, he's there, the kingdom is there, and the evidence of the kingdom is the healing. The evidence of the kingdom being activated in that position is the healing. God needs a focal point to pour out his spirit into a region, he needs a church, a called out people who are ready to go and take authority. Let's continue reading verse 24. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Just like a religious person. Look at some miracle and then say, oh, that had to be the enemy. We can't take part in that stuff. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Again, the kingdom, overpowering uh, the kingdom is speaking, boom. Jesus is speaking, heaven is revealed, boom. I know your thoughts. And what does he say? Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? We have evidence. Jesus says, Jesus says right here in this scripture that Satan has a kingdom. So all those things that we discussed last week, the power, the influence, the authority, Satan has his own power, influence, and authority. It's a kingdom that he has. Jesus gives reference to it. Verse 27, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? I love that dig there. Therefore... There shall, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely you know the kingdom of God, my kingdom, has come upon you. There is a superior force in the kingdom realm. There are multiple kingdoms. But there is a superior force in the kingdom realm. The kingdom of God will always trump and supersede the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of Satan. Verse 29, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, unless he will plunder his own house? There you go. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. He lays out the two kingdoms in very specific contrast. We know the evidence of the kingdom of the enemy is sickness and disease and division. We know that when Jesus came, he restored all of that. He took away the sickness and disease. He said, you're healed. And there was unity in the family. There are, there are things that we are trying as the church to combat and to move forward and to try to invade from the earthly realm. And if we do that, we are standing in the kingdom of Satan, trying to defeat him in his own kingdom. 
When if we function from the kingdom authority that God has given us in his realm and we do it and execute what he says on the earth, we surpass that kingdom. Now, I want you to think about the kingdom of, of Satan. The kingdom of Satan was set up specifically to be a counteraction to go in defiance of the kingdom of God. When he was cast out of heaven, he's, there were many, 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 many angels that fell with him. And those are his kingdom people. That's Satan's kingdom. They're the ones that harass you. He's only one person. He can only be in one place at one time. But he has a lot of people that are out there, a lot of uh, demons that are out there trying to stir up division and sickness and disease and put that on people. But his kingdom was set up in direct defiance of the kingdom of God. And we know that because Jesus just said there's no way that that can happen. Now I want you to think about the, the aspects of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. I want you to think about some of the aspects. And you can see it in the natural world, but it's only a reflection of the spiritual world. And so we, we had the privilege, and for all of you who served yesterday, I want to say thank you for those who served our, our family. We had, a, we had a Living History Luncheon. If you've never been a part of a Living History Luncheon, you have to come. We have historical characters come and tell the story from the first person about, yesterday was General MacArthur. And one of the things that, that as he was telling the history story about that, one of the things that struck me was his description of the kamikaze pilots that our military dealt with. To realize that they would only fuel the planes with enough fuel to go hit a boat and not get back home. They knew they were dying. They were going anyway. And MacArthur, in his speech yesterday, talked about that when they came upon the islands, they would still come, even if the bodies were six foot high, because they were going with everything that they had. I believe that the, the enemy has a kingdom of kamikazes that are ready to derail you at all costs. The last thing they want is for unity in the church. The last thing they want is for you to be healed. The last thing they want is for you to be successful. And yet the kingdom of God is completely opposite. The kingdom of God wants all those things to be reversed. But one thing I noticed was that he said in his speech yesterday that we would have rather fought the Germans than the Japanese. We would have rather fought other places instead of the Japanese because we knew that they were going to die no matter what. They didn't care. They were just going to try and take as many people as they could with them. We saw that in our modern day in 2001 when Muslims got in airplanes and flew them into towers and became kamikazes and what damage that did. What I believe God is calling in this hour is for a church to rise up with the same impact. We will, we will do whatever we have to do to see the kingdom of God manifest on the earth. We're already dead, guys. When Satan fell, this great number of minions came and invaded the earth and began to create turmoil all over. And all throughout Scripture, you can read about the clash between the kingdoms. As you read through the Gospels, you can see Jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven and the, the kingdoms of this earth, religious people, uh, you know, people that hated anything that had to do with religion, people that just hated people. They all came out of the woodwork to derail what Jesus was doing on the earth, to try to stop the kingdom of God. And we stand here today as proof that that didn't work. But we also stand here today in a battle. We stand here today in a battle not about blue and red. We stand here in a battle about the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world.
I'll just give you a couple real quick. I've got like 30 of these, but I'll just give you two real quick. Satan is always a cheap imitation of God, no matter where he is. So there are children of God, Matthew 13, 38. There are children of Satan, Matthew 13, 38. I don't know that you believe me, so let's read it. 1338, the field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. There's two kingdoms. Jesus mentions it often. Also in Matthew 13, it says, Christ is the sower of good seed. Satan is the sower of tares. It couldn't be more black and white. It couldn't be more compelling and yet he says i have overcome the world we as a body of believers should be walking this earth in complete victory every single day not just in the heavenly realm but on earth demonstrating the victory that we have over the enemy well i want to i want to make this come real to you because i know that most of the people in the room know the story of the children of israel so I, I believe that you can get born again and somebody can get born again by you taking them to the map section of your Bible. Can I prove it to you? Open your Bible to the back where the maps are. There'll be a map in the back that talks about the journey through the wilderness. I want you to open this up. This is your new track. This is your new way to talk to people. If they like history, this will really, really get them. Most Bibles have this picture in the back. And uh, it'll be on the screen for those of you at home. Okay, so this map actually shows our kingdom influence on the earth through a bunch of people who denied the blessing of God and going into the promised land, wandered around for 40 years. Another generation actually entered the promised land, and we're going to tell that story this morning. But I want you to see your Christian walk in a map. And I know that the Lord's going to give you inspiration on how to use this map to transform people. But on the left, you have Egypt. This is where they were slaves. This is where they were completely controlled. This is where you get three square meals a day. You get tortured, but you're, you're there. They're not killing you. You're in prison. And so they leave Egypt. We know the story. And the, the Red Sea parts. And they get out of Egypt, which is a salvation experience. They go out, and they're so excited that they got across, and Jesus deli or God delivered them, and, and, and this, this transformation happened. This is what you felt whenever you got born again. The enemy got swamped in the water, and you were able to be transformed. Okay? So they go, and we know that they actually look into the promised land. We've talked about that. We'll probably talk about it a lot more, because... They, they actually had a word from God saying, I'm giving you this land. And then they said, ah, I'm not sure that we want to do that. Let's send in some spies and figure that, let them give us their account. And then they go in and they come back out and say, yeah, we're not doing that. Okay, my simple translation there. <laughs> so they went into this desert and began to wander. How many of you have been in a season of wandering at one time or another? Yeah. Yeah, so, so we, come out of, we come out of the depths of despair of life where we can't find life at all. We just try to fill our void with all the things of this world. 
And we come into a God that loves us, a father who cares for us, a father who is just completely enamored with his creation and wants to fellowship with you. And he says, hey, I've chosen you. And at that moment, you say, yeah, I received that. And when you receive that, you're born again, and you begin the journey, you cross the river, you get into the wilderness, and God begins to show you things. And God begins to show you dreams of your heart and dreams of his heart in your heart. And it begins this, this great un unveiling of his dreams for you. And oftentimes, we try to send spies into the land because we don't feel we're worthy. We don't feel like we have enough. We don't feel like we can actually conquer this land that he's telling us to do. He may be calling you to go transform another nation. He may be calling you to sit in your prayer closet and transform a government. He may be calling you to go somewhere around the world and serve food to kids. I don't know what he's calling you to, but when you're born again, it opens up your heart to those things. And oftentimes, I'll, I'm guilty of this, oftentimes we see those things and we say, uh, don't know even though I know I know in my head that I have victory I don't know that it connects to my heart at this moment and so I'm just going to ask people what I think what they think I should be doing and you begin the 40-year cycle it was paid for on day 11 when they got there to actually see it but they began a 40-year cycle and things had to die till they could attain it because they didn't have the faith to believe the word some of you that are listening or watching or here today are in the wilderness because you didn't believe the word. Our wilderness can be a direct reflection on the word that had been spoken over us. Now, I said you could lead somebody to Christ through this. You can. So we see the, we see the born again experience, but then you can also lead somebody into fulfilled destiny of their life. So I want, you to, I want you to go with me in the story, leave this, well, I guess you're going to have to put scripture up there, but just bring your Bibles, and then you can read with me, and she can leave pictures up there. How's that? Okay, so we're going to go to Joshua 5. You've all read this before. You guys read it all the time, and I know that this sticks out to you, and you know exactly what I'm going to say, but I want you to receive it in a new way this morning. Joshua 5, verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war, who came out of Egypt, who had their salvation experience, were consumed because they did not obey the voice of God, voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So they recap the promise. I am giving you this land. They didn't believe it. They go, the whole generation has to be lost. I'm telling you, we live in a new covenant with better promises. But there is some significance to this story in your life today. Verse 7. Then Joshua circumcised the sons, all the men in the room. That is not your thing for today. I'm just saying, there is things, truth you can receive. I'm not declaring that this has to happen. Then Joshua circumcised the sons of whom he raised from in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way in the wilderness. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in camp until they were healed. Thank the Lord. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled the reproach of Egypt from you. Okay. Now, we are the summit. When we hear things and truth that should be like celebrated, 
like we cheer and we shout and we give the enemy defeat again. Okay, so let me read this again. <laughs> then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled the reproach of Egypt from you. He, in that moment, in that moment, they have now crossed the Jordan. They have now stepped into freedom. They've stepped into freedom. And yet, get this, you can be standing in freedom today and still have the heart of a slave. They physically were cut, but their heart wasn't cut yet. The Lord said, today I remove the reproach of your slave-loving, messed-up-thinking heart off of you. That thing that you brought from Egypt. You know, there are people, there are people that get out of prison and commit a crime to go back because they had three square, a soft pillow, and people took care of them. I'm telling you today that freedom will cost you something. Freedom will cost you something. And if you're not willing to pay the price, you can be a slave your whole life, but you will never stand in the destiny that God has for you. He says, this day I have rolled the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place will be called Gilgal to this day it still is. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the twilight of the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land. There are times that you can be standing in your destiny. There are times that you can be standing in your freedom. There are times that you can be standing in everything that God has promised you. And you can be eating of it and loving it. The day after the Passover, the unleavened bread and parched grain, on that very same day, the manna ceased. When you stand in freedom, you step into another realm of miracles. When you stand in freedom, you step into another realm of something you didn't understand. Now, let's go backwards in the story around the, around the uh, desert there. They're going around around the desert. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They were fed all the time. They had everything they wanted. When they murmured and complained, they got other things and blah, blah, blah. They, they went around and around and around and around. But God was miraculous every single day. What part did they have in those miracles? Nothing. They just complained and murmured and were frustrated when you cross over the Jordan into your destiny, into the dream that God has for you, into freedom, the manna will stop. I believe that the church has had a great wilderness experience. God has showed up. He's done amazing miracles. And in this time, this frustrating time on the earth, God is saying, listen, I put you where you wanted. You wanted a people that were ready to receive my word. I've given you a whole a whole world. They're all ready to receive truth and hope. And then he says, here you go. Church, I've given you the opportunity to do all that. The miracles that you've seen that I've provided because I love you and you're my kids are over. Now it's time for you to step into freedom and it's going to cost you something, but now you need to be the miracle. You need to be the miracle that is walking the earth. I will partner with you, but you need to be the miracle in the earth. And sad to say, there's been many times when the church has been faced with this situation. 
And many times the church has chosen captivity over freedom. May that not be the case today. So many are saying that God can't be a part of all this, and I've heard every side of all the arguments of where we're at today, and I get tired of them because verses 13 through 15 are going to show you where God is even today. So they go through the wilderness, they see all the miracles, they go into the promised land. God says, now you've got you've to pay the price to see the miracle. I will perform miracles, but I can't do anything from now on. You're in the promised land. I will only do it through you, the called out ones. Miracles will happen. I've given you the land. Now walk in faith, grow up. Don't, don't, don't think that you want to go back to Egypt. Grow up and be who I've created you to be. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was, was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man. Can everybody tell me what's weird about that man in your scriptures? Just that word, the text. It's very interesting because the M is capitalized. I hope it is up there. <laughs> it is. The M is capitalized. That's just intriguing. There was a man that stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, all those are capital. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, this is where, I mean, if you can't read the Bible and get excited, this is like, this scripture just blows my mind. So Joshua, who has been walking with God, who has dealt with all the nonsense for all these years, is now standing and there is a man with a capital M standing in front of him, and he says, I don't know who you are. Are you for me or against me? The capital M, and we'll see here in a second, is significant because the person standing in front of him, he should have known. Verse 14. So he said, no. That's interesting. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. <laughs> That's like a God answer, right? You're going to have to figure it out, bud. No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take, off, take your sandal off your foot, for the place you stand is holy ground. And Joshua did. Now, some people have said that this could have been an angel, it could have been all this stuff. I don't think so, because in all the other places in the history of the Bible that I've found so far, when an angel encounters a man and he falls down, the angel picks him up and says, don't worship me, we're worshiping him. But, but in, with Moses in the burning bush, he was like, no, stay down, yeah, 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 worship, right? And then with Joshua, he says, no, stay down, take, take off your shoes, you're in a holy place. So this tells me that the Lord is there. The Lord is the man. That's why it's capitalized. Here's the thing that got me a little, I, I had to really process this. If the Lord is in front of him, Joshua, then why did he not know that he was for him? Have you ever thought of that? This is what gets me up in the middle of the night. This is good stuff. Why did he say that? 
He should have known. This is the God that he worshipped. This is the God that he loved. And God is standing in front of him and he says, who are you for? Are you for me? Are you for our enemy? Who are you for? I don't understand. I know that you're holy. God may not appear in the way that you expect him to appear when he wants you to go to the next level. You can write that one down. I want you to think about the disciples in the boat. Okay? Jesus says, go to the other side. And they go. They knew Jesus, right? They knew who he was. They saw him tangibly right in front. They probably hugged him before they left. They got in the boat and they go. And when they're on the water in the storm, he comes walking across the water. And the first thing out of their mouths is, it's a ghost. Come on, guys. It's a ghost. The church, you, me, can walk through seasons of miracles and not know that God is for us in the next season because he doesn't show up in the way that we expect him to, and we can actually think it's the enemy. Many people today are rebuking, God, rebuking the enemy when God is involved in what's going on. We had this discussion, in our, we have lots of fun in prayer, pre-service prayer. We had this discussion this morning. The, the distance between Malachi 6 and Matthew 1 is 400 years. Here's the thing. God didn't like check out. He was moving in there. He couldn't send Jesus here on the earth until there was a government on the earth that would relate to how his kingdom functioned because people would dismiss Jesus. So he waited 400 years. But the cool thing is, is Malachi 6 ends with the hearts of the fathers, will, or the hearts of the sons will be turned to the fathers. And, and this will be this great transformation, and then it stops. And then it starts up again in Matthew 1, and you go to Matthew 2, and in Matthew 2 it says that he was baptized, and he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This son has my heart in him. He ends the Old Testament, begins the New Testament with his heart, and fathers and sons. And so he doesn't look the same. If you look at the, the God of the Old Testament, you can find Jesus in there where we just read it. But here's the thing. He looks a lot different when he's tangibly with you. I think sometimes we're completely missing Jesus in our lives because we're so focused on what he was last time. Now, what did he look like? Why is this so important? Because it says, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood across from him, opposite him, with his sword drawn in his hand. For 40 years, they went around the wilderness, and it was the God of miracles that we complain about. But we had miracles all the time, miracles all the time, miracles all the time. And now, God is standing before Joshua saying, guess what, guys? I'm a God of war. I'm a victorious God of war, but I'm a God of war. And so here's the thing. Remember I told you that you're going to have this land? Yeah, it's going to come with a cost. And that means that you're going to have to trust me as a God of war and follow me as your commander into battle. So when the world gets crazy, COVID crazy, we can rebuke the enemy. Now, do I believe that disease comes from God? No. But here's the thing. I believe that God is allowing this stuff to happen because 
There are people that are turning their hearts to him. But I also believe he wants the church to realize it's time to put your armor on. Because if you've been sleeping through the 40 years of miracles that have been happening in front of you, if you're going to be a part of the next move that I'm going to do, you better get out your sword. Because I'm ready to conquer the world. But there will be some who sleep who say, "Eh, I like the miracles. I like just doing the church thing. I don't need unity. I'll just go back to the mentality where I come, I feel good, I leave, I go, I do my thing. In a time of need, I know my pastor will be there for me. The enemy hides in religion. The enemy hides in religion. God is saying, I am ready for a people to rise up and be who I've created them to be, the ecclesia on the, world, on the earth. My authority, my power will be released on the earth when my people see me as I am today. Joshua would have completely missed who God was today. He didn't even know who he was for or who he was against. Let's keep reading. Verse, or chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Pretty clear. Gate shut. Got it? Um, Jericho was impenetrable. The only way to get into Jericho would have been to go through the gates. That's it. The walls were as thick as this building. And they had gates. Every city has gates. Every country has gates. Okay. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. Okay, so we go back to the map if you can. So they go, they go across the Red Sea. They go see the promised land. Uh, don't really want a piece of victory right now. I'm, we'd rather just do our thing. So God takes care of them. God takes care of them. They cross over the Red Sea into the promised land. Now they're expected to do something. God gives them instructions. And you would expect, he would say, I'm coming in all power and I'm going to just have you go right through the gates and take this city. Don't you think as warriors, that's what you would think God would say, especially when it appeared to you with the sword. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do for six days. Do you want to know why you haven't reached your destiny? Do you want to know why you're not walking in freedom? It's because you want God to do the battle for you, and you want him to do it the way that you want him to do it, and you're not willing to take his instruction and do it the way he wants to, so you don't see the walls fall down around the things that you're trying to attain. He will probably appear, and he will probably instruct you with something that you will think is weird. Because if you thought it was good, then it would probably have some form of flesh in it. And he's all about crucifying that. We as the church have to focus on him every single day. Every single day he's given you instructions. Think about, think about the, any battle you want. Let's pick Gettysburg. If, if you're in the battle of Gettysburg, north and south, bloody battle, all this stuff, and your commander does not give you instructions for seven days, 
what happens? Number one, you probably don't trust him. Number two, you're probably dead now. Or drunk. Now what if the commander was talking but you, were, you couldn't hear? You would still see the same fate. God is asking for a church to unclog our ears, unveil our hearts, Hear what he says today. If he tells you to get up and go do something, go pray for somebody. If he tells you in the middle of the day you're supposed to get up and do something or go somewhere or do something. I, I remember the story. We, we blew the shofar uh, this morning. And uh, so I'm driving up 77. I'm on the phone with Jeff, who was here, my uncle. And I'm driving up 77. And the Lord clearly, I mean clearly said, get off at the next exit. It wasn't where I was going. It wasn't where I was going. I had other things to do. So I got off on the exit, and I said, okay, now, I'm still talking on the phone, but now I'm listening to two conversations, which can be real fun. And the Lord is saying, get off at this, it got onto another freeway, get off at this freeway. Okay, get off at this exit. Turn right at the light. Go in this store. Store says out of business on it. What do you mean I'm gonna go in the store? I go in the store. He says, go to the back of the store. Well, the back of the store is empty because they've closed or they're closing. And so everything's moved up to the very front and there's nothing left. And you want me to walk all the way back there? I'll look like an idiot. And he says, on the wall, there was a shofar left up there that was for sale. And it was very expensive. And they had marked it down and marked it down and marked it down and marked it down. I don't know if it was too high for people to reach and they didn't buy it or what, but it was set there for me and I grabbed it, I bought it and the Lord said, okay, thank you. <laughs> Nothing else. Uh, so I brought it home, put it in my office on the shelf. He didn't tell me anything else to do with it. And then we began our Thursday night worship nights. I went to Houston, I came back, the Lord clearly said, start Thursday night worship, it's not going to be a practice anymore, they will practice, but it's like, whatever you do on Thursday will be harvested on Sunday, and you're seeing the fruit, can I have a hand for this team? Amen. You're seeing the fruit of their labor, you're seeing the fruit of them being on their face in here, all over this room on Thursday, praying for you, laying hands on your seats. Asking God to fill these seats with people who want to know more about his presence. Fill these seats with people who want to know more about who he is. Not just the miraculous God, but the powerful God that can transform your life. They pray over these seats every Thursday. We worship in here every Thursday. I didn't know what to do with the shofar until one night. I was late getting here. They were already here worshiping. And the Lord said, go back home, get the shofar and bring it. So we did. I don't know how to blow a shofar. So I bought it, don't know how to use it. Some people can say that about their Bible. <laughs> so I had the shofar and I brought it in and I said, I don't know what this is for, but I think we're supposed to do it. And I said it right here. And so we worshiped all night and worshiped all night and prophetic words happened and divine manifestations of God happened here, which we'll talk about very shortly. And lo and behold, Eugene knows how to play the shofar. And so he played it. And heaven fell in this room. 
And I believe that you all are today products of that happening. And as we enter in more and more into hearing who God is and his heart for us, we will begin to see the manifestation of his glory, not just in this building, in your living room, on the mower, in your workplace, in your cubicle, at your business. As you lean into him and you take time to sit at his feet, he will transform your heart. I, I, love, I love the verse. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. I, I can only, if I would assume that none of you in here are dealing with this, I would be probably mistakenly wrong. So would you stand with me this morning? DJ, can you lower the lights when you get a second? I believe that God, for each of you, has freedom. Freedom from something you're dealing with. Freedom from something that is held you back. Freedom from something that is delaying your growth. And maybe you're watching this and you are saying, man, something that he said today is resonating in my heart. Maybe you've crossed the Red Sea. Maybe that isn't you this morning. Maybe you're in the wilderness and you haven't even, you've gotten a glimpse of what God wants for you, but you haven't made it there. Or maybe you're standing in freedom. Maybe there's somebody here today who is standing in healing and it keeps coming back because your heart is still leaning toward Egypt. And you haven't stood in full, full restoration. Today is the day when we stand together as a body. There are members of the body that are hurting, there are members of the body that are completely restored. There are members of the body who are addicted to things and there are members of the body who are free. But I can tell you that every one of us has missed the Lord because he looks different than what we thought he would look like. The thing that had to change was not the reproach of skin, but the, it, wasn't, it wasn't the circumcision of skin, it was the circumcision of the heart that takes place here. He took the shame, the guilt, and all of that off of a group of people. And so as I was preparing for this message, I want to declare over you that anything that the enemy has put on you, anything that you have received willfully, maybe, maybe you've walked in freedom and now you're back into, back into the slave mentality because it was easier. That today the power of the king that stands before you with the sword will cut off those things that have held you back from experiencing freedom. So some of you 
Maybe today you've never figuratively crossed the Red Sea. Maybe you haven't experienced Jesus in any way. And so I want to take a moment. I want you to just bow your heads. We don't embarrass anybody here, but I want to pray with you. And if you pray this prayer for the first time, at the end of this service, I want you to make your way up here. Father, today, I want you to move in my life. I've known about you. I've even experienced you. But God, today, I want to make you Lord of my life. A Savior, a Deliverer, a Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and a soon-coming King. I want to give you everything that I am and receive everything that you are. Lord, take my sin, take my shame, take my guilt, take my sickness and disease, take my infirmity. I believe today, and I ask you to be my dad. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you have experienced that, maybe when you were a little one down in Good News Bears. But then we live in a world that is clashing all the time. There's people in this room, I know. We've been praying for you. You're in a cyclical behavior of the wilderness. It's addiction to addiction. It's bad job to bad job. It's it's the world is out to get you. That's the mentality. It's, it's all of those things. And today, the Lord wants to take the reproach off your heart. He wants you to not even want to go back to that stuff. He wants to break it off right now. So I just want to pray over you. Father, today, for my brothers and sisters in this room and those watching online, Father, today I ask that you would increase faith, that you would pour out your love upon your people, and that that scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves today, Lord, I pray for a humble heart of our people here. We give you those circumstances. We, we give you the the times of brokenness. We give you the hurt marriage. We give you the diseased body. We give you the pain. Lord, help us today to find freedom. Lord, today, may unity invade this region. And may the atmosphere over this area, over these people, be transformed into a kingdom, dominion of God's kingdom over this region. Lord, we don't need any credit. We just want your power, we want your influence, and we want your authority to reign in our lives, to reign over this region. 
We declare that you are the king over our lives. We declare that you are the king and Lord over our marriage. The king and Lord over our business, over our jobs, over our homes, over this house, over this city, this county, and this state. We're on the edge of a revival, we know that. But begin it in us. Begin it in us. Begin it in me right now. Do something deeper than you've ever done in each heart in this room and those who are watching. Begin it right now. May you move power, influence, authority across your people. May we come into alignment and be your hands and feet, your ecclesia, your called out church. to those in need. And Lord, may the miracles that you performed when we didn't really understand and we were complaining and murmuring, may we be a part of those in this season. May we not expect other people to pray for sick people. May we go in and pray for sick people. May we not stand around when someone is crying or hurting. May we have your heart. Ignite a passion in us, O oh God. And may your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth, here in our presence, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.